0: Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving others, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I am Tommy Morris, and as always, I have my two buddies in the studio with me, Mr. Scott Vitro. Hey. And Mr. Sean Schomer. Hello. Sean the Baptist. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? Uh, pretty good. I've had just enough coffee where I'm starting to get a little shaky, but, uh, but I'm good. So, yeah, let's well, do this. You know, you should be good to go since you came in with a coffee in one hand and an energy drink in the other. Yeah. It's that kind of day. I think you might have enough energy for all of us. Yeah. 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 So I think we're good. All right. So today we are, we're in December and we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus and just talking a little bit about that. And as I've thought about this, I've just kind of thought, you know, that for society as a whole, Jesus in the manger seems kind of safe. Right? like There are a lot of people that I know who are not professing Christians, who have nativity scenes set up. They sing the Christmas carols about the birth of Jesus, yet there's no profession of Christ in their life the rest of the year or uh, any indication of salvation or anything of that nature. So I think there's some nostalgia that gets kind of tied into Christmas and that kind of makes that acceptable. But I think also just viewing Jesus as a baby in isolation makes it kind of safe, but you know, obviously, we know there's more to the story, and so that's why we want to talk about this today. So, you guys have any thoughts on on that and what you've experienced yourselves? Sure. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it is very
1: safe to do that. I mean, even to the point where you know people start like kind of messing with the nativity scene, and you know, they'll have like you know like Star Wars characters or something ridiculous just to kind of like you know, I guess make it more lively or funny, but it's, it's like, no, this is the birth of the savior of the world. And I don't think people have to understand the gravity of that. And what it actually means and honestly you know from a historical standpoint because i was i've been like reading through luke again it's one of my favorites you know during christmas time um i don't really think like the wise men would have been there you know like i feel like they came a couple years later i feel like the shepherds in the field who got the you know huge angelic surprise and the whole host of heaven um they immediately went and saw baby jesus so i feel like that would be more appropriate but yeah i mean it's it's a nice representation but i mean like like you said i mean there, there are a lot of people who you know uh, we used to call them, uh, you know, Keister Christians, you know, like they would celebrate Christmas and Easter. And that's uh, that's kind of what you got, you know, from from people like that, you know, during the year, um, you know, and, and just like that lack of living it out during the year and only focusing on those. So because it's culturally acceptable or fun. So,
2: yeah, you know, the baby Jesus is safe, but adult Jesus, you know, kind of brings you to your knees and makes you.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, ba- babies aren't a threat, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, but Jesus as an adult was definitely a threat to you know the standards of the day, cultural, religious norms, stuff like that. So, yeah, it is. It's a lot, you know, you know, safer and
0: easier to celebrate baby Jesus. Yeah, baby, baby Jesus that doesn't seem to call you to repentance the way thirty uh, year old Jesus did, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I think that that's that's part of it. Uh, so that is what we're gonna going to discuss today is the fact of why Jesus came. And I want us to look at the Old Testament and just look at the prophecies that foretold His coming, you know, specifically about His birth, and then talk a little bit about why that's important, why it's important to to look at it, to study it, and, you know, what it means for us as far as walking this out in day-to-day life, you know. So, The first prophecy that that I see is Isaiah 9, 6. This isn't the first one when you're reading through Scripture, but this is the first one I want to go over is what I mean. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah is chock full of uh, Scripture pointing to Jesus. You know, this is one about Him coming uh, that we hear a lot this time of year. But, you know, Isaiah talks a lot about the suffering servant and a lot of others at that point towards Jesus's life on earth, His death, burial, resurrection. Um, but there are a lot of others as far as uh, scriptures that point to to Christ's coming and prophecies that were fulfilled. So what were uh, what are some of the others that you guys have seen in scripture? I mean, you got the uh, Genesis twelve
2: three where it says, I will bless those
0: who bless you,
2: and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it's, uh, you know, just Abraham's lineage, where he's kind of talking to Abraham, telling him that the nations will be blessed through him, his offspring will be as many as the stars, you know?
0: Yeah, we see that fulfilled in Galatians three, and it's interesting because if you don't look at Galatians three and you just read Genesis twelve, you could read that and say, "Well, see, all the all the earth will be blessed through Abraham." And prosperity gospel preachers could use that to say, like financial blessings, right? Life blessings here on earth that all the promises of riches and growth here on earth that were promised to Abraham, there are ours now because generation because I mean, Genesis twelve says. That all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. That's not the blessing it's speaking of. That's right. Yeah, so Galatians 3, 7 through 9, and then in verse 16, we'll read those that shows the fulfillment of this, says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, and then verse 16 goes on to talk about what that blessing is. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Christ is the fulfillment. He is that blessing that was promised. So, yeah, it was uh, fulfilled that he would come from the lineage of Abraham. And we see that in the genealogies that are uh, provided as well.
1: So do you, do you mind if I take it back even further in history for a sec? Go for it. Okay. So I like that you brought up Genesis, but I, I want to go back even further. So in Genesis 3.15, this is right after Adam and Eve's sin. And so God's kind of telling them, you know, what's going to happen now. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so some modern commentators have said that this is more of like a literal interpretation of just like the uh, the conflict between mankind and snakes. But I'm like, okay, that, that doesn't really fit very well. And it's like, okay, there's a lot of other creatures that we don't like. Like what about, you know, scorpions and other creepy crawly things that can hurt us, right? Um, but traditionally speaking, this was kind of like the first shots fired like in history about... Um, really a war that started um, that has to do with children, right? So we see like from here all the way through Revelation that there's a war between um, not not just uh, Satan and mankind, but especially against uh, lineage and children, right? And we actually see this fulfilled um, or I guess like the bookends. And this is what I like about this. So we have this all the way back in Genesis and then all the way at the end in Revelation uh, John talks about this too, about the, uh, the serpent being destroyed, right? So I take this as more of a of an announcement of the gospel. And even, I'm, I'm going to use a fancy word, not because I know fancy words, but because it's in the, uh, the commentary. But, <laughs> um, but this is called the proto-evangelium, which means the first announcement of the gospel, right? And so to me, this is God saying that one day, the serpent's going to be destroyed, that everything that he's done, you know, to tempt us, you know, to be in the world, um, and to, and to bring that downfall, um, is going to be vindicated. It's going to be destroyed one day. And, you know, and, 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 we see that in Jesus's life, uh, he was definitely bruised, but ultimately, and finally he's crushing the serpent's head. Right. So to me, this is like the first announcement of not just the need for the gospel, but God already telling us this is going to happen. And so it takes a lot of history, and a lot of things before it culminates, but this is like the first announcement of, you know, hey, I'm sending someone to destroy you, you know, like what you've done. So that's cool.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I knew we would get there uh, eventually. So you went ahead and just, you know, ripped the band aid off, threw it oh, out there early. Okay, so, okay. But, uh, but I'm glad because, yeah, everything else that we're going to go through really becomes the fulfillment of that, you know, because that was. God speaking to Satan Mm -hmm. right after the fall of man. And what it is, is it's God saying, I already have a plan for redemption. And that plan for redemption is restoring that relationship between man and God, but also defeating sin and death and trampling Satan under his foot, stating that he will establish his throne and that Satan would be under his foot. That is the first proclamation of Christ and pointing to everything that we're going to talk about today and really uh, pointing to why Jesus came.
1: Yeah, and and I, I love this too, because it predates the law, predates Abraham, it predates all of that, because basically, once you start looking at lineages, um, Genesis 4.25 is the birth of Seth, right? You know, Adam and Eve's third son. And so Jesus's lineage can be traced all the way back to Seth, which I think is Really cool because it is for all nations, it's for all peoples, um, and it's not just tied to the nation of Israel or just being under, you know, one specific, you know, Abrahamic covenant. It's for everybody, and Christ came, you know, from
0: from the lineage of Seth. You know, this this Savior who who will crush the serpent's head. Yeah, that's good stuff. So from that, you know, the lineage continued through Abraham, but also uh, the lineage went through David. I mean. We're skipping some because there's a lot of lineage. There's a lot of lineage, right? <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're just kind of highlighting a few to just point that, that really that there were fulfilled prophecies. But, you know, also uh, prior to David, there was Judah. You know, he came through the line of... Of Judah, he's called the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, uh, so you know that's another I would say major player, which is interesting when you think about all of those brothers, right? He didn't come out of Joseph's line or Benjamin's. Who, when you when you go back and you read, you you would kind of think that wouldn't Joseph be the one? You know, <laughs> you know, with the foreshadowing, the types of shadows, all of that that kind of came through. Everything he went through, but it wasn't. It was through Judah. So I think that's interesting as well. But there are a lot of, of other interesting uh, stories down the, the genealogy of Jesus. But, but one of them is King David. So in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And Matthew 1's genealogy confirms this. It speaks of Jesus coming through the the line of David. But the interesting thing about this is David was a king, right? So there were royal implications or ideas of Jesus coming through the line of, of David. I think this is a big part of why... The Jews were expecting a political savior. You know, they were thinking the Messiah was going to come and establish a throne and overthrow Rome and, you know, become a king in the sense of the way David was a king. You know, I think this is part of it because he came from a kingly lineage, but it's not how Jesus came. Well... I think one of the the
1: things i've always been curious about is like why do you guys think like with all the prophecies that the uh the jewish people expected that instead of you know this um not warrior king i mean he obviously he was a warrior um in, in in a sense but like why why did they miss the mark so much like why was there such an expectation for this uh this king to you know liberate their country you know politically economically Uh, militarily, all these things, instead of looking for this king that would save them. How did they miss salvation just in general? I mean, we have the whole, you know, Old Testament and the law, you know, which has to do with atoning for sin. So it's not like they were ignorant to like the need for, you know, sin atonement. Why, why do you think that they missed it? I mean, because I think even to this day, you know, most would, would still say like, no, like, you know, the, uh, the promised, you know, uh, savior hasn't, hasn't come yet. Any, any thoughts on why they missed it? Uh, maybe just our
2: own desires, our own worldly wants for, yeah. you know, someone to come in with a sword and just kick the door down and just flip, you know, flip everything on its head.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's true. I mean, you think they were called the chosen people, right? God's chosen people. Yeah. So I think that can uh, maybe bring... Uh, bring about a little bit of... Entitlement. Yeah, yeah, arrogance, yeah. And thinking that well, surely God's going to come and make us this great nation the way Rome is, right? Like he's going to flip the script, make Rome destroyed, make us the new Rome, make us the new great nation. But it's interesting you bring that up, Scott, because I've I've thought about that. Even as I was studying through this, I've just thought of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and we're going to discuss some more um, just to kind of point at how cool it is to to see them fulfilled. But I'm like, why the one of coming from David's line— Like, why that one over all the others? To to lock in on that and say Jesus is coming from the line of a king and just run with that. And then when all the other ones get fulfilled right in front of their face, it's just like, nope. (laughs) It blows my mind. I mean, outside of the fact that just their eyes weren't open.
1: Well, so I I, I have a theory. It doesn't mean it's a complete story. But in Luke uh, chapter 2, 25. So it talks about this guy named Simeon, right, who is righteous and devout. And this is when Mary and Joseph were presenting Jesus at the temple as a a kid. And that was according to tradition. And it said that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so when they came to the temple, you know, he says, uh, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you are prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which is important because Simeon's even acknowledging, you know, salvation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. So we see the whole family of the earth there, but my kind of theory here, and you know, maybe it's a little presumptive, but he was filled with the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit had revealed this to him, had correctly led him to the right conclusion And it's also really sweet, you know, that God would uh, say that to somebody and just how overjoyed he was. Because later on it says that, like, you know, whenever they brought him in, that he, like, picked him up. He picked Jesus up and, like, looked at him and, you know, was, like, blessing, you know, God and saying all these awesome things. But the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him. And I think that without the Holy Spirit revealing the truth to us, Even if it's a whole nation like Israel, then, you know, you're going to miss the mark. And without the Holy Spirit, you're going to rely on your own understanding. And I think that's where people got it wrong. They were relying on their own understanding and expectations without, you know, asking God or, you know, saying, hey, like, you know, please reveal this to me, like in your spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was obviously active before the New Testament. It's not like, oh, the day of Pentecost. And now we have this new, you know, person of the Trinity. Uh, The Holy Spirit was always there
0: you know, to reveal truth to people. Yeah. I mean, we see the Holy Spirit back in Genesis as well, right? The spirit of God hovering over the waters. Yeah. I mean, uh, sometimes people forget that, but yeah, you know, I think about Peter you know, Jesus said, whom do men say the son of man is, you know, and they go on to say, oh, they say that you're Elijah or you're one of the prophets or you're a good teacher and, you know, and then after the list, you know, he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says you're you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, God revealed this to you, not yeah. by flesh and blood. Yeah, not by flesh and blood. So, yeah, it does. It takes it takes God it takes the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and that that's actually a great example because I think pretty much right after that is when Peter says like I'll will never, you know, deny you and and all these things And he was relying on his own understanding, and he was totally wrong, and he wasn't, you know, seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance in that.
0: Yeah. All right, so to keep going and just look at a a few more prophecies that were fulfilled. So the next one we see is that Jesus was born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in Matthew through 23 uh, we see the fulfillment of this, but the setting of that is Joseph. So Joseph is betrothed to Mary, right? They're going to get married. And then the angel comes to Mary and lets her know, like, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And then Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and he was actually going to, like, quietly divorce her. You know, he had this whole plan of, like, putting her away, you know, which I think speaks to him. He he had no interest in public shame which would have been the norm. I mean, you have a woman, first of all, for her to have gotten pregnant if he was the father during the engagement time would have been a huge no-no, but for her to get pregnant and it be from another person would have been even worse. In the Old Testament, she would have been stoned to death, you know? But in this, he could have publicly divorced her, publicly shamed her, basically made her like a pariah where no other man would have wanted her. But he doesn't. He's in an honorable move. He looks to divorce her quietly in the betrothal and, like, let her just kind of go on her way and go have the baby. But then the angel comes to Joseph to say, like, whoa, don't do that. Like, you're going forward with this. Like, go ahead and take her as your wife. You know, that she the baby that she has is is born of, is uh, of God. You know, this is the Messiah. And in that, it says that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's what we see in Matthew one. So in that interaction between the angel and Joseph, we see that fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah, which is, which is super cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also neat, too, trying to figure out, like, well, okay, well, how is Jesus going to be born of the lineage of David? And it's like, especially with, you know, God, the Holy Spirit being involved, and like, well, how does all this work? And, you know, I mean, it it is a mystery, but it's really neat because Joseph was descended the line of David, right? And the other interesting thing is, too, is that, you know, the prophecies talk about Bethlehem, you know, being, you know, poor and lowly, you know, lowest of all the clans of Judah, Uh, From you shall come forth for me. One is to be the ruler of Israel. And I think it's really neat because they weren't really living in Bethlehem at the time. Like the only reason they were there was because of a secular government's uh, census, right? Yeah. And that's really the only reason they were even there. So it's just it's crazy to me, even mathematically, you know, they've done studies about the probability of Jesus fulfilling, you know, even just a handful of the prophecies is, you know, an astronomical number, but for him to come from David's lineage, uh, came through Joseph and then to be born in Bethlehem, you know, seemingly was just by, by chance. Right. But I mean, that's the word chance doesn't really hold any power, especially in our modern terms. You know, we, we like to say, oh, well it's by chance. Well, that's, that's like dealing a deck of cards. It's a mathematical probability. The word chance holds no power. And it wasn't just by chance. It was a divine appointment that, you know, God had said, you know, thousands of years earlier was going to happen. And then we see it happen and it's just, it's wild.
0: Yeah, definitely. The, the interesting thing too is Bethlehem that kind of, like you said, like lowly place. Uh, you think that would have been some indication that he wasn't coming as a ruling King as well. Um, but yeah, that, Another prophecy from Micah 5 that was fulfilled we see in Matthew 2. The next one we see, actually, it's interesting because this kind of touches on what you said earlier about the wise men, right? Like we always put them in the nativity scene like they were there the day of his birth, uh, but they weren't because the setting of when they come into the picture is with King Herod and Herod hearing that there's a, a king of the Jews who has been born, right? And him out of obviously protecting his throne, decides he wants to kill him, but he lies and says that he wants to go worship him. And by this point, I mean, Jesus was probably a couple years old because Herod makes a decree to kill all of the male children from the age of two and under. So that's the indication that Jesus was probably two at the point that the wise men talked with Herod and then went and left out to go worship him. You know? And so that, that's a fulfillment of uh, Jeremiah 31 when it talks about Rachel Uh, weeping at the blood of her children being spilled. And to me, it goes back to my earlier point and, you know, and everybody
1: may not share this, this idea, but from Genesis like that to me was the kickoff of a war between Satan and the woman's offspring. Right. So to me, there's always been a war on, on children. And every time something happens, it, it costs something. Right. So even Jesus's birth, it costs the lives of all these little kids all these little boys um, in Israel because the serpent, you know, Herod, you know, in, in this instant was jealous. He was threatened already. So going back to like our conversation about Taladega nights and baby Jesus and all these things, I mean, I, I guess realistically a baby isn't just unassuming and, and non-threatening. I mean, even just a baby terrified Herod, you know, of, of, of his power and reign and all these things and he ended up uh, killing a bunch of kids over it just to try to find Jesus and stamp that out. But we know through God's providence that that's not going to happen. And Mary and Joseph end up fleeing to Egypt for a while. They're kind of these nomadic, you know, people for a bit until it's safe to, you know, come back home and raise Jesus where, you know, he's meant to be and where, you know, he he needs to be.
0: Yeah, and it was you know, Herod's threat that led them to go to Egypt, which ended up fulfilling the prophecy from Hosea, you know, that God said he would call his son out of Egypt.
1: Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it all stemmed from that with Herod. But it is interesting. I mean, the other day on Twitter, somebody had posted this picture. If you could go back in time, somebody posted this question. If you could go back in time, any point in time, 1,000, 2,000 years ago, what would you do? And this one guy responded back, I would, I would find Jesus and assassinate him. Mm. I was like, good luck. Yeah. But I thought about this, right? Like, we're looking at this and I'm like, been tried.
2: Yeah. There was so much divine intervention, too, like from Joseph not divorcing Mary. And then, you know, an angel came down and was like, hey, you know, run to Egypt. And then again, it was like, hey, the coast is clear. Y'all can, y'all can move again, you know? I mean, God, God was in that whole, that whole interaction, for lack of better words, you know, from, from birth to, whenever they moved and hopped around and all that stuff. So, I mean, you're going to you're going to try to like hunt down God and kill God. It's just
0: crazy. Yeah, I mean, God will accomplish his purposes. And when he made that statement in Genesis 3:15 that one would come who would crush the head of Satan, he would fulfill that. You know, he will accomplish his will regardless of satan attempting to kill jesus or herod attempting to kill jesus or you know even any attempts to kill anyone from the lineage along the way it just wasn't going to happen i mean even satan and trying to tempt jesus to throw yourself from this high point scripture says you know not a not a bone will be broken so go ahead throw yourself prove it prove you're jesus you know so just always this attempt and even with the cross, you know, I think Satan, you know, looking and thinking, finally, we get to put Christ to death, you know, but ultimately in his resurrection, he defeats sin and death.
1: Yeah, which is strange in itself, because being Satan, he knows that God's going to accomplish as well. So what, what type of blindness and arrogance would he have to have to say like, oh, well, I'm going to kill God's Messiah, and, you know, not understanding that there's there's no way. I mean, he has a part to play. Um, there, there's a purpose and a reason for his existence. I don't fully understand it. But for him to think that he was going to accomplish his will over God's will, I mean, it just speaks to why Satan is who he is. The the story's wild. I mean, just, just going back to, like, him fleeing to Egypt and Herod, you know, God, God uses this variety of ways to accomplish his will. And it's not always just well, I'm going to snap my finger and make something happen. Because, you know, to me, it's like, okay, well, the easy way out would have been, well, God could have just killed Herod. You know, he could have died of cancer or fallen down some stairs or something, and then they wouldn't have had to flee to Egypt and do all these different things. But God in his sovereignty had said, like, I'm going to call my son out of Egypt. So there was a reason and a purpose why he did that. And, and we, we see that throughout Jesus' miracles. You know, he doesn't heal everybody the same way every time. And I see this theme with God where, you know, he, he does use his, I guess what we would call his supernatural powers to to accomplish his will. Things that we don't ordinarily see or, or, or do. But a lot of times he just uses the world, the natural creation to accomplish his will. And it was the same thing with all these prophecies, too. He didn't need to, you know, throw down you know, his, his, well, I don't say bolts of lightning, you know, that's, that's more of like a mythological thing. But anyway, you know, he, he didn't need to exert his, you know, supernatural will on earth to accomplish it. He accomplished it anyway, which is even cooler to me. Cause I mean, on one hand, if he had just accomplished his will and just knocked out all of his enemies and made the path completely clear and straight, um, it, it wouldn't be as great of a Testament to seeing all the struggles that humanity and the whole lineage of Jesus went through to get to that point. Because I mean, speaking of, you know, of his lineage and just his birth, yeah, it's, it's so important to rem- to remember the, the humble estate that he came from. And then just even the lineage talking about that. I mean, there were so many, just what we would look at their stories and say, these were terrible people, um, men and women throughout his lineage. But God interweaves all this brokenness into the lineage to prove a point. That he is greater than that, that he can
0: accomplish his will no matter what, and it's amazing, yeah, and the neat thing just you know for me and in, in looking back at the fulfillment of the Old Testament is when I think about Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and you know these two guys are walking and talking, and you know they're just kind of struggling with the fact that that the one who they thought was the Messiah was dead, and them thinking like did we did we get it wrong? You know, was he not like what, what just happened? And and Jesus calls them foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. And then it says that he opened up from Moses to the prophets and interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You know, so he goes back and says, let me, let me lay it out from, from Moses, right? Genesis on, and let me show you all that God did to bring me to this place and why I am the Messiah. And that's, like, super cool. Yeah, those guys probably ran back to town
2: and were just like, dude, guess what just happened to us? You know,
1: and just started preaching the gospel, so to say. <laughs> well, that's that's another crazy thing about that story is while they're on the road to, to Emmaus and he's explaining these things, they don't really know who he is yet. This is just some some random dude who popped out of nowhere who's you know speaking all this stuff to them and and how and then it was like after he had finished they finally realized who he was and then they like freak out you know and go tell everybody and you yeah. know realize it and it's like what you know but that's the crazy thing you know the these these men and, and women you know spent so much time with him and he had literally told them he made it very black and white after three days i'll rise again you know and it was like and and i'm trying to give them grace too like they were all you know probably in such grief and just a state of emotion they weren't thinking clearly but to me it would be like well hey let's let's wait at least 3 days before we're like oh well you know maybe it wasn't true and but you know hindsight's always 2020 20 for us cuz we right. get to look back and then they don't even recognize who this guy is and i mean i imagine he wasn't in his fully glorified state because that would have just, you know, he, you know, the light would have shown, he would have just been bright. And like, it would have just been like, who is this person? But he just shows up as a regular dude interpreting scripture. And then, it's, you know, and then like, doesn't he disappear? Like right after he's done?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Telling him all, the, all these things. Basically he was breaking bread with them and then he, and then he was not, he was just gone. Yeah. And the, and their eyes were opened at that point and they were, they had recognized him right before that. And it says, yes, he vanished from their sight and then they said did our hearts not burn within us as he spoke you know and then yeah they did the very next thing is they ran and told the 11 disciples like hey we saw him he's risen like this is awesome you know so thinking about their response to it you know as we kind of finish up what when we think about this when we when we read the old testament and we see how it points to Jesus and then when we go into the new testament and we see these things fulfilled what should this do in us and our hearts.
1: I mean, it should make our hearts burn as well. But the thing is, and it's, it's natural, but it's part of our fallen state, but we have so much history to look back on. And, you know, but even just not looking at all the biblical history, we can look at our own lives and look back and say like, okay, you know, there were some tough times and I didn't understand everything all the time, but God was good to me and he's faithful. And, you know, I still have a job. I still have my life, my family, like he's always sustained me. And I think it kind of points back to to the Holy Spirit too because just you know, just like what we're talking about these these people spent so much time with the actual physical living Jesus and then they still had doubts and concerns and it's because I think that you know the application of the Holy Spirit wasn't quite there or they were trying to ignore it and rely on their own understanding about like well you know may, maybe this wasn't what was supposed to happen um, but in fact it was And then we see later on, and, you know, you see this huge shift, especially whenever Pentecost happens. And, like, I love the story of Peter because he's kind of like this, you know, hothead and just popping off at the mouth. And then Pentecost happens, and something strange, you know, to me happens. He starts to, like, there's, like, this instant maturity in Peter, and he gives, you know, the sermon at Pentecost, and he's right on target. And I think that that was, you know, God's fulfillment of pouring out the Holy Spirit. Um, And also, revealing to them like okay all this stuff happened we have all this history to look on and say okay this is true like God has never failed in any prophecy because you have to keep in mind especially in the Old Testament if you were wrong about a prophecy like that deserved death right like that was how you discern between God's prophets and you know false prophets and so to me today it's just it's looking back even if I don't understand or I don't like everything God has to say all the time I have to know that he's been faithful and he's been true. And so that can help me sometimes move forward, even whenever I don't have a full peace about something or I'm nervous or I'm relying on my own understanding and just saying, OK, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. You're sovereign. Nothing is going to stop your plan, no matter what I choose to do or anybody else. And I'm here to you know, be a tool with the Holy Spirit to go fulfill you know, your will in the kingdom. Yeah, it's crazy
2: how how forgetful we are, you know, even just in our own lives. But I mean, it's never failed. The word has never Failed. There's like 300 some odd prophecies. Yeah. And we're just talking about a couple of, you know, Jesus's birth. But I mean, it's just riddled with prophecy. There was a, I think there was a book by like Paul David Tripp where he calls us like amnesiacs, you know, and he's he's saying, don't be amnesiacs. You know, just remember, remember just how good God has been in your own life. And like we've got the Bible where we can. I mean, we can look and see how God's promises were fulfilled and they've, they're true. They've never, they've never failed. So why, why would he fail now? You know, now all of a sudden he's just gonna, you know, he's not going to follow through with his promise. Like, no. So, um, yeah, we've got that promise that, that God will, will succeed. God is faithful. And, uh, you know, you got second Timothy three sixteen. all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's just good to remember. It's good to remember you can think back on your own life. And if you're having trouble thinking back on your own life, you know, open the Bible.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, And I think looking at this, it should give us hope. You know, it should give us hope, one, that, uh, and confidence that the Word is true. You know, like you're saying, God is faithful. You know, you you brought up he. This was declared all the way back in Genesis three. You know, it wasn't like the redemption story started in Matthew. You know, this started all the way back at creation. You know, right after. So it should give us confidence in the Word of God and the fact that we see prophecies fulfilled. We see God staying true to His Word. You know, it it says that His Word will not return void. Uh, it should give us a hunger for the Word, like. You know, Scott, you said like we should kind of have that same response that our hearts should burn within us as we we see these things true, right? Just like the guys from from Emmaus from the road to Emmaus, and so we should have a hunger for the word, and it should give us a boldness in proclaiming the word, but it also gives us a hope in Christ and who He is, and in Him fulfilling all of this that He is the true Savior, you know, and so it should give us hope and and all that was said about Him um, being our Savior, but also a hope for the future and His return, and just an overall confidence in the sovereignty of God that He does fulfill all that He has spoken.
1: Yeah, and I think one day, you know, he, He is going to return and restore things, and He is going to rule the nations with an iron, you know, with an iron rod. And I think that you know, it's, it's natural for us. And like, I I have sympathy and understand why people in the new and old Testament, you know, maybe missed Jesus because they, you know, the Bible says this too, that all of creation is groaning, right. For basically the restoration, um, to be in perfection with God. And, you know, we are part of all creation. So it's, it's, it's natural for us to want to think like, okay, Jesus is going to be this, savior who's going to, you know, do physical things, right? He's going to restore restore the earth, you know, rule the nations, all these things, but it's really kind of fruitless and pointless if we don't deal with sin first. And I think that was the whole point is like I'm I'm going to do this. I know that you as part of creation are groaning for this restoration, for freedom from oppression, from all these things, but we have to take care of the sin issue first through his, you know, his death, burial and resurrection because what what would be the point if Jesus did come and do what they wanted, and, you know, freed the Israelites from Rome, and started ruling the world if people were still just sinning. Like, that's that's silly, right? Yeah. But it's also natural for us to kind of want and and groan for that, uh, because we do see the fallenness of the world, and we want that restored. So, there is is some credence to that, but we have to focus on, okay, like, we had to take care, or Jesus had to take care of the salvation issue first, because restoring the world without restoring us to God doesn't make any sense, and it would just be chaos, right? So, that's
0: that's what gives me hope. And yeah. All right. So with that, just, you know, I'll close, just re-quoting this promise from Matthew 1, 22 through 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we're thankful for God coming in the flesh and for the redemption of mankind and the eventual restoration of all things unto him and unto perfection in him. So just keep that in mind as we continue through this, this season. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We are dropping new episodes every Monday. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That way you don't miss an episode. We'd love to connect with you. So go ahead and hit us up on social media. You can check us out on Twitter by searching deed underscore truth You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching the Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out our website, deedandtruthpodcast.com, where you can leave us a review or even a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you and uh, maybe answer any questions or talk about your comments on the air. So until next time.